You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Captain David Marquet, author of Leadership is Language and Turn the Ship Around. Formerly a submarine captain in the Navy turned leadership consultant, Captain Marquet is the founder of the intent-based leadership movement, and he imagines a workplace where everyone engages and contributes their full intellectual capacity, where everybody's a leader. Captain Marquet, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on your show and welcome listeners. Now, this is a unique opportunity for me because I get a lot of people referring podcast guests to me, and I'll, often I'll hear, you know, this guy's a great communicator, this guy's a great, and I'm going, not that I want people who aren't, but I'm not looking for the communications experts. I'm looking for people who have learned that along the way. So this is the first time that I'm actually inviting somebody who's already in my wheelhouse. And I reached out to Captain Marquette, David, when I first discovered his new book, Leadership is Language. But what I love about it is that we come at it from such different angles, totally different worlds. I'm a linguist, recovering academic, as some may like to call it, and you were a naval commander. So give us the quick background about how this revelation began for you and when you started to realize that, as your book says, leadership is language. My short story is, as I was coming up through the ranks, first of all, as a submarine commander, exactly what you picture is probably correct. The imposing, ideally tall, good-looking person who's very confident, who sounds self-assured and leaves no ambiguity in the instructions and the orders that they give to their team. It's someone who makes decisions and gets people to do things. And oh my gosh, I was so good at that, that the Navy kept promoting me. <laughs> and the problem was at the very last minute, after 12 months of training to, to command one submarine, they said, no, 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 you got to go to the other, this other submarine, the Santa Fe, the worst performing submarine in the fleet. And oh, by the way, the reason you're going there is because the previous captain has quit. It's so bad. No one has ever heard of this. You can get fired, but quitting as a submarine commander, no. The key and the thing that scared the tar out of me wasn't bad morale, bad performance, but it was the fact that Santa Fe was a different kind of ship. So this whole sort of basis in leadership where I knew all the answers or as many as you would, could imagine. I mean, after all, I spent 12 months learning one submarine. I mean, that's the, I knew where all the switches were. I could find the breakers in the dark. Oh, no, 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 no. So when you say the Santa Fe was a different kind of ship, different kind of boat. Kind, that it was the latest. Literally generation. a different kind of, Liter well, that's not a metaphor. Okay. No, 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 it was not a metaphor. It's a different <laughs> kind of submarine. Got and it. it was a generational leap ahead of the ship that I was trained for. And that scared me. And, but what happens Well, you show up, there's a big ceremony, you're wearing a uniform, you have a thing on your collar that says, shows that you're the commander. When you come on board the submarine, they, they ring a bell, ding, 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 Santa Fe arriving. I was Santa Fe. Right. Like that's the way the Navy works. And I go down, I start giving orders and it all falls apart because I don't know the ship. And that's when I had to change everything. And I realized the problem wasn't 
that I was giving bad orders. The problem was I was the one telling my team, the words coming out of my mouth kept saying, oh, do this. Don't you think we should do that? And it wasn't always do this. Sometimes I would say, well, don't you think we ought to be heading north at this point? Oh yeah, Captain, we should be heading north. And so you use all these little tricks to coerce the team into doing what you really think you should do. So that's where the whole story started. So where did the leadership is language piece come from that? Okay, so you've realized you're in this mess on this boat that you don't know, I believe, correct me, the, the naval terms officially are to call a, a submarine a boat, right? Yeah, yeah, right. purists would say it's a boat, it's a, it. a U-boat. All right, so <laughs> for all the German speakers out there as well. So you're on this boat. Yeah, so here's what happened. Now, when you're a submarine commander, you have a lot of power maybe, but there's a lot of things you can't control. Who was on my team, what positions they were in, what our schedule was, what resources we had, what schools I could send my people to, what kind of software we used. I couldn't control any of that. Navy regulations, Navy policies, all that I could not control. There was only one tiny thing I could control, which was the words that we said on the submarine, and in particular, my words. And it turns out that this is the most important determinant for team performance. And because most leaders can control a lot of other things, we get distracted. And we say, oh, if I only had the right people, if I didn't have these idiots working for me now, I have new idiots, I would have a whole much better world. But then we neglect, they bring them into the company, I bring smart people into the company, and then I beat all the initiative and creativity out of them because I, I run the meeting in a way which is fundamentally antithetical to thinking and a bias for action. And we don't even think of, so for example, we go in and we say, oh, these are my direct, I talked to the CEO and she says, oh, these are my, I have six direct reports. Oh, direct reports. What does that mean? Well, uh, what are you, daft? <laughs> I direct and they report. And then, and then she says, oh, can you help me have a more empowering team? I need that. Well, what do you want? I want initiative. I want thinking. I want speaking up. I want them to tell me I'm wrong. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you should stop calling them your direct reports. <laughs> and, and it goes on and on and on. And we don't even think about it. So here's another one that I love. And I hear it now. I've sort of tuned my ear to it. So someone says, so, hey, I really think the product launch is going to be important and, and it's important, but and we've done all the testing, right? Does that make sense? Now, why did I add that little right at the end? Or does that make sense? It's a micro coercion. I don't really want to hear a dissenting opinion. If I really wanted to hear a dissenting opinion, I would say, how is this wrong? Mm. Like, what am I not seeing? What mistake are we about to make? How could this blow up in six months? Something like that. In other words, invite the dissenting opinion. The reason we say that is because we've inherited those words from an industrial age architecture. And the whole thing about the industrial age organization was for people A to tell people B what to do. And yes. that's what I was doing all the time. So when I would say I wanted empowerment, I wanted my team to tell me what to do, but I would go out and say, oh, and I would screw it up every time. And so I learned how to just the first thing is you got to shut up. Like mm. the problem is that they're not speaking up because, and I would say, I would justify in my head. I can't stop telling them what to do because I don't hear them telling me what they would do absent me telling them what to do. Mm. That's wrong. The yeah. reason they're not telling you what they would do is because you keep talking and telling them <laughs> what to do. So I have to lean back. You actually want to lean back. You want to lean out. 
Right. That's my picture of leadership. And that creates a vacuum. And then now they lean into me. So I say, well, that sounds like a tough problem. Captain, we have to make a decision. Should we go here or here? Like, I don't know. Well, that sounds tough. How do you see it? What are you thinking about? If you had to make the decision right now and I weren't here, what would you do? Hmm. Who would you talk to? How would you make that decision? No pressure. Expose your thinking. Yeah. So, and over and over and over again, was I perfect? No, of course not. And I, when I got tired, I would always go back. Oh, no, no, just do this. It seems like so much, it's, it's addicting so much faster. Look, boom, look, we're doing something. Might be wrong, but at least sure. I feel good. <laughs> it just gets it done. Sometimes when you're just that tired, understood, you know, fatigue is, is a nemesis, to say the least, of good intentions. So speaking of intentions, you're the founder of intent-based leadership in that movement. What does that mean? What is intent-based leadership? Most organizations are permission-based organizations, which means that the common communication is direction going down, reports going up, and maybe asking for permission. In other words, if a tier two person wants to change a marketing campaign, they have to go to a tier one person and say, I'd like to change the marketing campaign. Can I change the market? Uh, request permission, I recommend, something like that. And in that structure, the default state is the null state of inactivity. In other words, if I don't hear back, then I don't take the action. Mm. And that's why when I, we go to leadership seminars, everyone's locked in on their cell phones because they know that their team is going to sit there inactive if they send them a, oh, what should I do, A or B, I need your approval. Now, with an intent-based organization, it's all different. Why? Because people say what they intend to do. Uh, we're meeting with a client tomorrow. I intend to offer them this package at this discount rate. And the key of intent, there are a couple of things. I say it ahead of time. So I get to invite feedback. Hey, how's everyone right. thinking? About it? You right. got a chance to vote. It's not just but, going rogue. Exactly. I'm not going rogue. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of Nike leadership. Just do it. Right. Or that whole idea of uh, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. That's not that what you're not, suggesting. That's not a good way to run a nuclear power plant and a nuclear <laughs> power submarine. Okay. Let me just tell you. So, so the idea is we stated ahead of time. And now you got 24 hours to respond. Guess what happens if you don't respond? Number one, the team has inherent, now the inherent state is action because they're going to do it. And number two, you don't get to complain about it later because you had your chance to vote. So intent is magic because we get a tremendous sense of ownership and engagement and thinking. It's just really a trick to get people to think. Yes. Because you say, well, what would you do? Well, I don't know. Now they're thinking. And I always imagine a needle on the submarine. There were 135 of us, me and 134 followers. That's the way it started. And I said, well, how much brain power, not of mine that we're reusing, but of the 135 people are we using? And I have to say, at the beginning, it was low. Sure. That's something that I think everybody now has to become aware of, you know, even just the idea of asking that question. What is the brain power that is actually being tapped into for each individual in the organization? If you were the CEO and you just had a meter and it said, what's the total brain power of my organization I'm using right now? And you could move that needle. Oh my gosh, how cool would that be? Yeah. 
I have a proxy for that, by the way. Okay. Well, that's something that people can find on your... Can they get more information about that on the website or someplace or we can uh, send them to later on today? As is the teaser. Well, it's the team language coefficient. I talk about it in the book. Got it. Yes. Which is the level of... um, It's the divergence from equal speaking that a group has. I remember seeing that. You've got a nice table breaking it down to levels. So go get that book, Leadership is Language, and you will find it in there. We'll give you some links at the end of the show today as well. Now, you know, one thing that I hear, I do a decent amount of work talking with veterans and veterans groups. And one thing that I hear often is that a lot of people from the armed forces find that the transition back to civilian life can be challenging uh, in great part because the way that you've learned to communicate in the military from hierarchy to you know who's allowed to talk about what, when, to whom, contradiction, et cetera, doesn't always translate to the rest of society. What was the biggest communication-related culture shock of sorts that you faced when you finally retired from your military service and decided to start your own consulting business? Well, in the military, there's hierarchies in the civilian world, and they're, sure. just, they're just as powerful, if not more so, than they are in the military. The difference is in the military, the hierarchy is very visible. So all these protocols about who gets to talk first and who gets to talk second and who gets to sum up the meeting exist. But in the military, we, we become sort of blind to the clues because we don't really need to be aware of the clues of where someone is in a social hierarchy. I just look at their collar or their sleeve and I see their rank and I know who they are. And that, that way I know exactly where we, so, so I'm with a place. client. Yeah, I'm with uh, doing a workshop with a client and, or I know I'm at a conference, I guess. And so I'm talking to this person for a pretty good length of time, like five minutes. And I finally say, now what? And like, what, what's your, where, where are you in this organization? And he's like, oh, I'm the CEO. I was like, oh, ah, <laughs> because there were like, to me, there, there were probably clues there. I mean, he didn't have a whole bunch of people lined up around behind him, but there were probably clues there, but I didn't see it. I mean, you go to Silicon Valley, the guy in line in Starbucks behind you, he may be, he may have just sold his company for $2 billion. You don't know. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's, it's He's hard. wearing the same sneakers you're wearing. I've had those same conversations. I was at an event a couple of years ago with the Swedish American Society uh, at this lovely gala. And I'm talking to somebody there just, you know, by the champagne. And uh, I said to him, I'm sorry, what was your, what's your connection to the organization? And he said, oh, I'm the Swedish ambassador. I went, oh, um, hi, I'm Laura, not ambassador or hi, you know, of anything. And of course, he was extremely gracious about it, which is a good thing, considering he's an ambassador and thus diplomacy is his job. So he helped allow me to make myself feel stupid and not do it for me. But we all have those moments, to say the least. I bet he likes playing that game, too, a little bit. Sure. Let's see how people will react. I mean, same. I lived in Japan for a number of years and uh, often I wouldn't led on with certain groups that I did understand Japanese. And it was really interesting to see what kinds of things you could eavesdrop on when you don't look like you should understand something. The five foot fly on the wall, as it were. But nevertheless, so you're building this company now. You were you shifted from military to civilian life. And what kind of new communication skills did you have to learn to run this business? Or did you have to? Maybe you felt like really everything that you learned, you learned in the military, like everything I learned needed to know, I learned in kindergarten and it's just application from there. So in the military, you're told to tell people what to do. Everything I tried to do, I vowed never to tell people what to do. Mm. So everything about it was not telling people what to do. It was about seeing if I could get them to come up with the thinking and the decision. 
And so on our submarine, our submarine would have been a, like the CEO and your Swedish ambassador. You walk around the submarine, you would not have been able to figure out who the captain was. That was my objective. When guests come aboard the submarine, we'd have name tags and they could figure it out sort of. But just that's why movies are such bad portrayals of leadership because you have to identify, the camera needs to follow somebody. So there has to be a central focus of action. In well-performing organizations, there's no central focus of action. It's distributed. Mm. And there are decisions being made in the engine room and the torpedo room and topside and the control room and then the chief's quarters and sonar and on and on and on and on and on. And the camera would be like, where do you want the camera to go? It's too confusing. So, so our whole thing was about not telling people what to do. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Now, my problem is trust first is one of our things. Like if you come to me and say, hey, I understand what you're talking about and I do it myself. Generally, I was like, okay, great. Um, you know, show me. Like I'll trust, but okay, tell me. So the way we build our company is through global partnerships. Mm. It's a global brand with local delivery. So we have partners now around the world. And so the key is who do you bring on as a partner and how much do you control them? And yes. it has to be consistent with the fundamental philosophy, which is to push, we call it pushing authority to information. So I say to the person, hey, so tell me, oh, we love intent-based leadership, blah, blah, blah. Give me an example of when you've Always ask for a specific example, not what are you going to do, which is for the future, because you make up anything, but like, sure. what like, give me an example of something you have. Oh, well, we had a client, we told them, but no, 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 you're missing my point. What have you done in right. your company? Right. How do you run your company? Huh? Like, okay, <laughs> so, so what's happening is they're thinking about this as a product that they're going to sell. This is not how it works. This is how you have to live your life. So when someone comes up and says, you know what, I tried this with my kids. And some of our best stories come from parents. So for example, one of our things is avoid binary questions. Don't say, did you have a good day at school today? Ask uh, yes or no question. How was your day at school today? And even better, we like to ask it, like we have a thing called fist or five, fist to five. Okay, fist of five, how was your day? Zero, one, two, three, five, whatever. Mm -hmm. So people are using this and they post the video sometimes and they say, here I am talking to my son. I have a deep, because think about it. When you say, did you have a good day? The answer is yes or no. So if I just added up the number of words, you said like six and they said one. So there's a high disparity. If you said, well, how was your day today? Oh, I had a pretty good day. So-and-so did whatever. Now the word count is much more even. And what you want to try and do is create, like I'm an engineer and I was on the math team. So for me, it's about numbers. So if I just add, I add up the number of words that people say in a meeting and I just want it to be as even as possible. Like the person who didn't say anything that's the person with the innovation. That's the person mm. with the outline. So I say, oh, Laura, I noticed you were pretty quiet. How do you see it? So we invite you into the conversation. And, you, and if you look uncomfortable, I might say, hey, why don't you come just you know, bounce by afterwards and let me know like, how you think we're all screwed up here because obviously <laughs> you think that. <laughs> or if someone's speaking, they hogging all the words. Mm. Uh, what's happening is that's anchoring the group to that person's position, whether you want to or not. And this is also unhelpful, especially if the person is the, the leader or has positional authority. Yeah. Okay. So to recognize where the information is coming from versus uh, where the words are coming from is not always the, the same who's got what. It's often different sources. What's the next big goal for you? I'm trying to get out of work. <laughs> and what would that look like? Well, so what we're doing is when you start a company, right, you think I was the movement mm -hmm. and it was about my books and my name 
but this was exactly the opposite of what my my leadership approach was successful on. It was about removing the personality. Hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do now. And so the Intempest Leadership Institute, I want it to be a movement where five years from now, people are like, ah, Tempest, yeah, we do. And we operate by intent. We, this is the environment that we create for our people. And so, well, how did it start? I don't know, some guy in a submarine. I can't remember the guy's name. Like, that's what I want. Okay, so I'm backing away and doing content. I'm going to continue to write books and I'm generate content, but I'm not the right person to run the company. Okay. So my strength is going to be in writing, which is a little ironic. And people can say, well, then you don't have any authority as a person who's a leader because you're not actually leading anyone anymore and blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Well, look, succession planning is succession planning. And the whole idea is how do you hand something off to somebody else and leave your legacy at the same time? Yeah, you got to. I have the same problem that a lot of other people have, which is I need to create something that's self-sustained, which is exactly what we tell our leaders. It's about you creating something that sustains beyond you which we were successful in the submarine. It's just that you don't have any equity. So the, the, our key was not only did we have the highest scores and the highest level of retention ever in history of the submarine force, but we created more submarine commanders. So that mm. the first two things are what we call achievement because they happened while I was there. Right. The second thing, over the next 10 years, more submarine commanders came from this one crew than any other crew. That's called leadership. You're building more leaders. And I think that translates really well to the corporate environment or nonprofits, the organizations where you can say, well, okay, how much did we scale? How many clients do we have? How much revenue, et cetera? But in the end, if you were to step back, if you're at the CEO, CFO, whatever role now, when you retire 10 to 15, 20 years later, how many of the people who were employees who were your quote unquote direct reports, I'm going to use that term anyway, even though we know how you feel about it, that the, how many of them have now risen to the ranks of executive leadership? And to what extent have you influenced them along the way? Or did you set the culture of the organization in a way that empowered them to develop those skills to be able to achieve those kinds of levels? Does that sound like a, an accurate translation? Yeah. And so imagine, okay, so if I'm going to be, I'm going to go from running hundred percent to zero, I'm retiring or leaving the job of CEO. That's crazy. I mean, that, so you have to work your way into that position. So we say things like, okay, turn your cell phone off for two hours. And, and if they're visibly shaken by that, then we say, okay, imagine you were to turn your cell phone off for two hours. Imagine right now, you were stricken with a stomach ulcer and you had to go to the hospital or come to a meeting five minutes late. And we just practice, okay, imagine now, what do you, what's going through your head? Oh, I'm worried about this and this decision's coming up and what, how are they gonna handle that? Okay, now that's what we gotta hand, that's what we gotta tackle. And the problem isn't all these other people, you're the problem. Mm. You're also the solution. But if you're running your organization every day as if you're going to be available forever and you're the decision maker, you're going to have a fragile organization. Structurally, we want the decision maker to be separated from the decision evaluator. We want the most senior person to be the decision evaluator. And so we would say, I mean, you can look at example after example. Sure, sure. Where the senior person in the organization was involved in the decision and there's also all psychological things that connect to that. They don't see that you're going down a bad path. Sure. sure. Look how long Boeing stood behind the 787 thing Mm. or 737 max. 
And even a year after it happened, Boeing's internal report, sponsored by a retired admiral on the board, said, oh, there's nothing, nothing to see here, nothing wrong, our culture's fine, yeah, but we're based in engineering, we haven't gone to the, we haven't taken any shortcuts, we don't feel pressured by profits, whatever, that was all nonsense, that was BS, so they get, anyway. So then one of the topics that I often hear that many people talk about that I've seen a lot of reports on, the concept of executive presence. In the military, I'm sure it's referred more to as the command presence or leadership presence. It seems to be a catch-all phrase, kind of a you know it when you see it. How would you define it, either in the military or now outside of it? For me, it's a quiet, calm confidence that doesn't clamor for attention. I'm a hard-on introvert. And as soon as someone comes in with a blah, 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 I'm just like, you're an asshole and I'm going <laughs> as far away from you as I can because you obviously need a lot of attention and I can't really help you with that problem because I'm not going to give it to you because it's all about them. And this is not a leadership. Leadership is about other people. Leadership is about helping other people see themselves bigger, seeing themselves in the next role, seeing that they can be the submarine commander, that they can be the CEO, that they can start their own company, that they can be the first person in their family to go to college. And so there's a deliberate diminishment. It's not about thinking, I might be channeling Simon Sinek here, but it's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking less about yourself. Mm. And it's only the people who, are, who have the self-confidence to say, I know my brilliance will be recognized. And I'm confident that my impact on the world will be recognized because you all will feel it. Because you all will say, you know what, because you were there, our lives are better. Yeah. I don't need to be loud about it. So you say, I have a little secret metric that I call a word to content ratio mm. for people. And I score everybody on word to content ratio. And I have to tell you, there's some people that that number is infinity because they always talk and they never say anything meaningful. Mm. And so the idea is say nothing and then ask just exactly the right question and then don't repeat it and just pause and then say nothing again and see how well you did in terms of asking that question. And did you get them to really think about something? Being concise so is that's, something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me, but I don't know. I might be going against the wind on, on that. Certainly the problem was we see things in the movie. I was like, why are you acting this way? The junior officers like, why? Like, didn't you see master in command is how Russell Crowe does it. Like that's a movie. I literally had a CEO of a tech company quote Game of Thrones to me. I'm nice. like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he wasn't apparently. So hopefully you get set him or her straight at that point. All right. Well, this brings us to the speed round. And these are three issues that regularly come up in training and coaching for me that clients often raise or there are a lot of misconceptions that people have. So I'm going to ask you initially just to Pick on a binary level where you initially fall, what your gut instinct is on it, and then I'll, I'll ask you for a little bit more follow-up from there. So first, public speaking. Love it or hate it? I like it. I like it. And what is it you love about it, and what's a tip that you can give people so to help them love it a little bit more if they don't necessarily love it right now? So my mindset when I go on stage is first time, last time. It's the first time they've ever heard from me, and it's the last time they're ever going to hear from me. And when you have that mindset, you're all in. It's 100%. What happened was I, I go on stage 
for an event. And I looked down the audience, someone in the first row is someone who was there like two weeks ago at another conference. Now there are 500 other people, but I'm just like, uh, it's just going to be boring. They're never going to hear. And I was like, oh, the same stuff over and over again. And I talked to him afterwards. I said, well, how? he's like, no, I heard different things. I learned, but that was all in my head. But the problem is that's not the person you focus on. You want to focus on. So, so I started the first time. And then the other thing is everyone says, oh, well, you need to leave them with, you know, your speech is really just a lead generator to get you to go them to go to your website. And then they're going to sign up for your newsletter. And then you're going to hire you for a hundred thousand dollar consulting job. I like, that is the worst advice I've ever heard. If you want to give a crappy speech, then have that in the back of your mind. And how am I going to hook people into that? So my, I think it's like, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you the most powerful experience you can have. I'm going to try and give you as many tools as possible. Not overwhelmingly, maybe overwhelming, but, but <laughs> I've had people afterwards say, Oh, have you written a book? Do you have a book out? I'm like, what now? What's your name again? Like it fine. I'd rather have sure. that. So number two is though tens and zeros. Tens and zeros are better than all nines. Okay. If you try and make everybody happy, you're going to get all nines. I think this net promoter score mm. is not the way to think about it. Everyone's okay. all hooked up on what my average net promoter. Your average net promoter score doesn't mean anything. What's the distribution? That means everything. You can build a huge company on tens and zeros. Yeah. Even if half the people give you zero, if half the people are giving you 10, that will be okay. All nines, no one's going to remember. Sure. Oh, I don't, what? No, I never heard of you. So yeah. A, first time, last time, B, tens and zeros. Love it. Now, you mentioned earlier that you consider yourself, a, a, you're a strong introvert. So as an introvert, as since that already answers the uh, introvert or extrovert question, what do you think as an introvert, what's one inherent strength of yours and what's an area that you need to work on as a result of it? Huh. I don't talk too much. <laughs> but I've gotten in trouble. So the clients, people don't understand before a speech, leave me alone. Like I'm going <laughs> through my speech in my head. I'm going to talk to a thousand people and you're sitting next to me asking me, oh, so what are you going to do with your company next? And like, what was your last trail run like? I'm like, you know what? No, go right. away. Leave me alone. <laughs> and then afterwards, I'm exhausted. I've left everything on stage. Sure. And I just want to go to my hotel room and shut the door and get in the mini fridge. So, so, <laughs> so what's an and, area for growth there? But people feel abandoned and they felt like, oh, you disappeared. And what happened to you? And we want to go to dinner. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Dinner. I'll come have a drink and then I'm going to leave. And like, oh, you're a snob. Too good for us. I think, no, it's not really about that. I'm just trying to protect myself. So I am trying to get better. So the whole social media thing for me, I'm so bad. Like mm. it's such a trash. I book time on my calendar. Sure. Do social media. Really? Do I have to? Yeah. Do I have to look at LinkedIn one more time? Oh my God. Well, I'm glad you did that because that's how we first connected. So I'm glad that I, yeah, you had that booked so on the calendar. A, See, this is a positive reward reinforcement. Yes. This, I'm a positive reward. I feel yeah. validated. That's great. All right, David. Well, the last question then is about uh, handling conflict. Uh, it's something we all have to deal with one way or another, but your natural hardwired DNA encoding is it to want to avoid it like the plague or to just dive in and address it head on when you when you see it coming i want to stick my head in the sand i want it to go away 
Now that's a weird thing. Like you're a submarine commander. Like there's conflict, there's tension. So I've sort of adapted. Well, that's <laughs> to, the question, right? And that's yeah, exactly adapted, why this question is here. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, why is everyone acting like this still in high school? Like this. Then let me ask you this. What's something that you've learned? You, you know that you'd prefer just to stick your head in the sand and avoid, but you know that you can't. So what's something that you've learned about how to acknowledge that tendency, but still effectively manage the conflict? Yeah, I think Bill Yuri, the work of Bill Yuri has really helped me out. Uh, he's, he's a lovely person, Bill Yuri. Uh, I think the book's called Getting to Yes. The key concept that I got from Bill was picture yourself on the balcony. So you're not in it. Mm -hmm. So you're not on stage in this conflict, in this situation. Right. Picture yourself on the balcony and you and the other person are standing side by side walking in the same direction. And it's a problem to co-solve with the other person. Nice. And you're watching itself. The problem is I feel like I'm living my life from behind my own eyeballs too much. Mm, sure. Like I see the world from behind my eyeballs. I experience it from behind my eyeballs. Everything's from behind. My, I feel like, oh, you disrespected me, blah, blah, blah. And this is not always the most helpful. This is rarely the most helpful perspective. So I always say, get out from behind your own eyeballs. Great. Cool. Be over here looking at yourself and say, is that the person I want to be? Am I proud of what that person just said? Because there's no do-overs. <laughs> right, right. So, and enough. I have a trick, which I call fast forward, which I imagine it's six months in the future. And I actually, on the submarine, we actually had a calendar. I had a calendar in my stateroom, which was always six months ahead. And I said, on that day, I picture myself, I get out behind my own eyeballs. And I look back at myself today. And I say, what do I wish David Marquet on October 15th, the day we're recording this, did from the perspective of David Marquet, April 15th, next year. Sure. And that person is going to be a harsh critic of the person today. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Look, all this stuff, some of these things really don't matter. They're not that important. This is what really matters. Like not damaging the relationship, for example. Yes. The whole point of this activity is going to be I want the relationship to be stronger at the end than when we go in. All the other stuff about, oh, I really think, you know, Avengers is a great movie to go to. It really doesn't matter that much. <laughs> sure. I think that's the challenge for a lot of people is figuring out how to solve the problem and how to get the content across, but still maintain and even strengthen the relationship in the process. And that's really a big hurdle for a lot of people to get past. So we're coming to the end of the interview, and this is something that I usually do about halfway through, but I am going to ask you now here to wrap it up for us with this, and that's the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. So this is your opportunity to speak directly to our listeners and to challenge them to take one step that they can complete in the next 24 hours to have more influence. How do you want to challenge our listeners today? I have a challenge. I'm going to give it to you, but there, you remind me of something I think very important that I want to say, and you could use it or not. Here's a key tip. Some people say, oh, well, I ask questions. So the, well, give me an example. Well, hey, don't you think, have you thought about the customer? The idea is I'm going to have this Socratic questioning method. This is the most annoying. Again, it's terrible advice. Why? Because the other person is thinking, of course, I've thought about the customer, you idiot. And it's demeaning. Why? Because it comes from the position of you're right, they're wrong, and you're enlightening them. So stop doing that. What you want to do is imagine that they're actually right and you're wrong and then ask questions from that mindset. Like, oh, tell me more about that. I didn't think, I haven't seen it that way. What am I missing? 
But honestly, from the position of what they're telling you is actually right, at least from their frame of reference. Stop. No more teaching moments. That is the most annoying, pedantic, demeaning trait that leaders can have. We'll have it be a learning moment for you. Okay. So where's the, what's the 24 hour now, 24 hour. Okay. So here's the thing for us, it's all about giving up control. So what I want you to do is take something that matters to you before COVID for me, this was going out to dinner. It could be what your next book's going to be. It could be how you load the dishwasher. It could be something, you know, what movie you're going to watch and give up control to another person in such a way as they make the decision for you. And they tell you, so in a restaurant, it would be, Hey, can you help me out? I need, I'm in this control, uh, anonymous addiction group and I need <laughs> you to make decisions for me. I can't make decisions and blah, blah, blah. And the reason is this is exactly what leaders do at work. And what you're going to do is practice, not a theory, it's actual practice. And by using the words, using words and by sense and noticing their words, you're going to make it safe for them to make a decision for you. And this is what leaders do. And if you can't do it, with something as innocuous as like what your next car is, then how are you going to do it at work with things that really, really matter? So take something, give up control, share your story in the, in the show notes or wherever you guys share stories, tweet it out. I'm at L David Marquet for social media. Let me know. Let me know what your give up control thing was and how you felt doing it. And then what happened? Absolutely. All right, everybody. So give up control of some little personal decision, at least to start. So I'd love to see how many people are able, willing, and not absolutely having their hair stand on end, if not catch on fire at the idea of something like, here's an idea, give the remote control to your significant other for the evening when you're watching TV together. That's that what comes fun. up a lot. Yep. <laughs> remote control, driving, vacation, movies. All, the, all right. So this is 24 hours. So you know, vacation might be a bigger thing, but we're going for 24 hours. So what you watch on TV, folding the laundry, what you're going to eat for dinner, all those kind of fun things. David, Captain Marquet, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How can people learn more about you and the Intent-Based Leadership Institute? Yeah. So I'm going to, in the show notes, uh, we have a little sort of guide to the book. And these are eight one-page summaries. I'm going to give you a link. It'll take you to the Intent-Based Leadership website. There's a lot of information there. We have a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos. We do every week a new little short video. And it's a little tips, little things you can practice like giving up control. That's one of them. It's called Leadership Nudges. And you, I invite you to subscribe to that. And, and they then, can do uh, all that on intentbasedleadership.com. Yeah. So you can subscribe there or you can go to YouTube and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Terrific. Once again, thank you so much for joining me today for the conversation. Cheers. And to all my guests out there, or listeners, I should say, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. 
Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.